Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. of Citizen Deem, the podcast where four women talk about the fact that nothing really ever happens, even though we're constantly talking about things happening. Uh, I am Karen Peterson, and with me as always is Kristen Lopez. Hello. Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. That was a very existential introduction, Karen. (laughs) And Kimberly Pierce. Hello. How are we this morning, ladies? Not bad, not bad. Yeah. Rainy. Meh. Rainy? I'm so jealous, because it's like a million degrees here still, although it is cooler, but we've got fires everywhere. I was about to say, you're living on the surface of the sun, aren't you? Yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who got evacuated from her house, and another friend who, like, one of the fires was a mile away, and it's crazy right now. Yeah. Because we're literally living in hell. It's very true. Everything is a dumpster fire. So, anyway, let's talk about other dumpster fires. Garbage people! Yeah! <laughs> so Casey Affleck is back in the news and conversation. Well, not really the news, but back in people's consciousnesses. Is that how you say yeah. that? I don't know. Anyway. So, of course, he's got a new movie coming out, so it's time to start promoting it, which means it's time. This is the first time he's really had to uh, be out in the spotlight during the age of Me Too. Uh, And so he gave an interview to the Associated Press. Was this Lindsay Barr? Yeah. I actually just met her the other day. She's really lovely. Um, So he sat down with Lindsay Barr, and she talked to him about a lot of things... Um, but of course, one of the things that they talked about was the uh, settlement. I'm not going to say allegations because he settled that thing um, from years ago. The on the set of um, the duck, the documentary thing that never happened. What was that called? Wasn't again? it? I never um, remember. Um, it was the Joaquin Phoenix film. It was the one that he yeah, was making. You yeah, were, with Joaquin. It's not your. Your. I'm still here. You were never really here. There are lots of here. I'm still here. Is, no, you are never yeah. really here is the good one. I'm still here is the... You know what, Kristen, why don't you just talk a little bit about this article, this interview? Um. Okay, so I, I feel like I always get trotted out as the Casey Affleck person because up until this all happened, you could have never met a bigger Casey Affleck fangirl than me. Um. Yeah, I know, it was a dark time. Uh, but I've... I've admitted it so the hardest part of any problem is admitting you have it um so yeah this uh this is not an apology i mean that's that's my thing is that i love that there are male critics out there going like well he owned up to it and he made an effort and he didn't well actually just because those words didn't come out of his stupid face does not mean that that's not what he did because that is what he did um you know the the quotes that I was kind of pulling out, you know, he's talking about, oh, trying to find his own culpability. Um, And that really his problem wasn't just, you know, that he was involved in this. He says, 
and this is what I've been quoting. Um, I had never had any complaints like that made about me before in my life. It was really embarrassing and I didn't know how to handle it. And I didn't agree with everything the way I was being described and the things that were said about me. But I wanted to try to make it right. So we made it right in the way that was asked at the time. So. <laughs> Pick that no, one apart. <laughs> nobody had ever accused you of being a harasser before to your face. Um, and that you were really embarrassed that somebody said that about you. And you didn't know how to handle it. And you totally disagreed with those bitches. And so you just decided to pay them because it was easier than letting them drag you through the mud because what they were saying wasn't true. That's that's what I'm feeling you're saying. Um, so he's talking about really when it comes down to it, um, the problem was with the movie. The problem was not with him. He says, um, quote, I was a boss. I was one of the producers on the set. Um, it was a crazy mockumentary. The cast was the crew, and the crew was kind of the cast, and it was an unprofessional environment, and the buck had to stop with me being one of the producers, and I had to accept responsibility for that, and that was a mistake. And I contributed to the unprofessional environment, and I tolerated that kind of behavior from other people, and I wish that I hadn't. See, that's not really you, bro. That's you saying other people acted like dicks, and that maybe you should have said something, but you totally didn't do anything. Yeah. No, 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 no. He says he contributed to the environment and tolerated that. But that completely negates the previous paragraph. I That's guess. barely an apology. Well, I'm not defending him. I'm just saying, like, let's 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 look at what's really being said here. And and I think that he, I agree, he's not apologizing. But I think that he doesn't think he has anything to apologize for because what he's saying is, yeah, I fucked up. All these other people fucked up, and I let them. And that's not who I am anymore. Which is not the same as apologizing. Yeah, it sounds like he's but just, I, he's yeah. separating the blame. He's just, it's like, well, this, I, you know, everybody else was doing it, too. Yeah. But he's also accepting, though, that he was responsible for that, and he shouldn't have allowed that to go on, either. Yeah, it's, I, I, this one is difficult to parse, because you do get all, I, I agree with Kristen, there are a lot of con conflicting statements that are also statements in the abstract, and I think that some of it is that he doesn't want to, and he might not be able to, talk about exactly what happened. Um, yeah, see, that's part of the problem, is he's got that that settlement agreement, so he's not allowed which to Which, I just so, want to so throw out that. to people that argued with me on Twitter yesterday <laughs> about how um, these women didn't press charges, and so they settled out of court because they were money-grubbing whores. Um it was really fortuitous that I watched this week's John Oliver, and he did a whole section on, I don't know if you guys know this, but women don't get to go into court and say, I want to press charges against that man, and then they arrest that man, and then they put him on trial. Um, prosecutors have to decide that, and we've all talked about how hard rape cases, rape cases, not harassment, rape cases, are to even bring in front of a jury, let alone a harassment case, so... The next time you try to tell me that they settled out of court and they wanted the money, maybe watch that first and then get back to me. Um, he also went on to talk about, you know, Me Too and Time's Up because he did not go to the Oscars this year and present because he didn't want to get, I don't know, harassed maybe might have been the term to use. Um, and he says that um, he's taken his les those lessons with him um, so that he can work on them at home and teach his boys 
how to be uh, to model quote compassion and decency and also contrition when it's called for. Mm-hmm. Is this a new? I have a daughter, so I understand what happened. Like I have sons, and I'm going to teach them not to be assholes. It seems yeah, like kind it. of yeah. You know, I I do find it interesting that Affleck is kind of parroting um, what a lot of men in in the in the Me Too culture have done, which is to talk a lot in the abstract, to talk about in in very general terms. Like I support women, and I believe we have a bad culture for women, and all of this. And then when it actually comes down to their specific behavior, or sometimes the behavior of their friends or family members, or you know, random dudes that they happen to like then suddenly becomes like, well, but that, that, that's not the same thing, right? So there's this general, I support women, I support me too, I'm against sexual harassment, I'm against rape, all of that. But these specific cases are completely different. And and it's it's really exhausting because it's also the kind of thing that I hear a lot, not just from famous men, but just from men in general, of, you know, I... I'm not like that, and I don't, I am against that, and I don't think women should have to live in this world, but I'm also not really going to hold and take anyone to task for it. Well, and one of the ways that he basically also goes along that route is in that question about how he can contribute to Me Too, and he's just like, if I'm ever called upon by anyone to help in any way and contribute, I'd be more than happy to. Like, he has no idea what the hell Oh, well, I call bullshit. Like, um, if someone asks me, I'll help, but otherwise I'm just going to say... Well, he also says something about how he, he's talking about uh, people who are leading the conversation and, quote, should be leading the conversation. Okay, but you just had a whole paragraph where you said that the women... Again, either talk about it, and again, a lot of this is, he, he, they've signed NDAs, so legally no one can talk about it. Although, I'd like to know where that starts and stops with the person who is accused. You yeah. know, the women can't talk, obviously, but considering that he made the settlement, he's the one accused, I, I'd love to know, like, from a legal standpoint, like, how that NDA works when you're the one who is essentially enforcing an NDA on others, um... I was actually, I don't know where it's at now, but I actually, during the whole Manchester by the Sea thing, um, I found, I came across a court document. It's a court order. It's not just a standard NDA. It's it's like in the... Okay. Um, but he says, in general, quote, I need to keep my mouth shut and listen and try to figure out what's going on. Okay. And be a supporter and a follower in the little teeny tiny ways that I can. Okay. I'm going to throw out an example here, and it might be a bad example, okay? Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin said, you know what? If, if other women want to talk about shit that I've done, that's cool. But anything I say is going to look like I'm defending myself, so I'm just not going to say anything. Just do that! For once, holy shit, Josh Brolin is something that I actually think is right. Um, just go with that. Just go with that, Casey. You didn't have to answer eight questions, leading uh, two paragraphs leading up to this, and then say, you know what, maybe I should just shut my trap. Just shut your trap. Just do that. <laughs> well, and this is where I want to give some credit to Lindsay Barr, who was interviewing him, who didn't just accept one answer and move on. Like, she kept going with this line of questioning. And I think that so often, and, like, if a, if a guy had been doing this interview, either the whole thing would never have been brought up, or it would have been a, you know, just a little softball question where he just answers one thing about it and then they move on. I can't wait to see what happens. Because the only reason he's going on this Mia Culpa tour is because he's got a movie coming out. So I'll be I'll be very interested to see 
how reviews for Old Man of the Gun go. Um, I, I was making a prediction that I think women writers are going to ignore him and just not review his performance. Um, and men are going to fall, male critics are going to fall over themselves and say, see, this proves he deserved that Oscar lot, the, you know, for Manchester. We should just give him another one. He's apologized. He's well, sorry. I was just going to say that same thing. It's his likability seems like it's such an issue now. I'd be interested to see how his reviews, how he's perceived in this role, particularly by female critics. Because I know, I mean, and I will freely admit, I'm not contributing to this much because I'm biased. I cannot stand the guy. I have not been able to stand him since the Ocean's Eleven movies, but (laughs) he has absolutely no likability for me. I hate him. I wish he would go away. Little little 14-year-old Kristen would be very, very upset. (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of with Kim on this. Affleck, I did, you know, I have to say, he gave a great performance in Manchester by the Sea. He did. There's there's no doubt about that. He still, he creeps me out. He has always creeped me out. So all of this, when all the stuff came out about him, I was like, ah, makes sense. Okay. Um, Yeah, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how people continue to react to him. I mean, he's, he's really not, I don't think that his career is particularly going to suffer because of this. It obviously hasn't. Um, but we, we do need to kind of put the kibosh on, on saying things like, oh, this is the way that you apologize. It's like, no, he didn't apologize. The way that you apologize is to say, I'm sorry that my behavior hurt you. Right? That, because that is taking all of the blame on yourself. That's saying like, what I did hurt you, and I am sorry for that. And that still does not mean that we have to forgive you. That doesn't mean that anybody has to has to be okay with you continuing to be a public figure. But that's how you say I'm sorry. And I don't know why these men are incapable of doing that. I, I can't remember the last time we've heard a legitimate apology. They love to trot out some form of I'm sorry that you were offended by my behavior. Yeah. And these Sorry, little but. damage tours piss me off because that is one of the few things that really get me going is, I'm, you know, I'm sorry you were offended. It's like, that's bullshit. That's not an apology. Exactly. So, I don't know. We'll see what continues to happen and if more stuff comes out and about during his press tours that are coming. So, um, uh, And then there's Chris Hardwick and people are, like, just fine with him being whatever I, I don't even know what to say about Chris Hardwick like I'm so fed up so we know that AMC hired a very completely non-biased law firm to conduct an investigation they cleared Hardwick's name after talking to like four people that all love him and and um, probably talking to their employer it's Patty Hearst <laughs> Uh, that's that's totally irrelevant, Kristen. Totally irrelevant. No, is it? Yeah, is it? Totally, we totally trust the Hearst. Right. So, I mean, well, you know, of course, yeah. Patty Hearst has never done anything. I mean, the fact, fact, you can always trust the Hearst. The Come on, trustworthy. Biggest client is the Hearst Foundation. I'm sure had nothing to do with them clearing the name of. A son-in-law. I'm sure that was just totally, totally irrelevant. But anyway, beside the point. Must be nice to be a fucking Hearst. (laughs) So that happened. And then this week, Nerdist decided, well, since his name got cleared, we'll go ahead and stick him back onto our website as the founder of Nerdist. And um, so that was awesome. Also, NBC has announced that he will be back this fall with his game show, The Wall. Um, 
And, yeah, what's interesting is, um, oh, shoot, who was it from Nerdist that just quit on the spot? She's like, nope. Oh, I'm Donna Dickens. Donna, Donna Dickens, yes. And last night I saw uh, a tweet from her where she was saying, like, she's been getting crap all day from all these dudes who, like, didn't like her anyway, and they're giving her crap for quitting. And she's like, but don't worry about me. I've already got two job offers, so I'll be back to pissing you off in writing soon. So, yeah, so good for her. But I know... Uh, unofficially, and I'm not going to name names, but I know a couple of people over at Nerdist are also looking for the door. So, and this is all related to this situation. So good. Also, uh, one of the executive producers for uh, Talking Dead on AMC has quit. The only female executive producer. She quit over this. She's like, nope, I'm out of here. So, even though he's been reinstated, a lot of people are not actually standing by him, which is good news. Unfortunately, for them. he's still been reinstated. So, and and Chloe Chloe Dykstra, the the woman who um, did not name him in her article, but we all know it was him, um, did put out a tweet too, talking about how just because uh, the internal investigation got uh, cleared him, um, she really only wrote everything she wrote was true. Um, and that really what she wrote was in order to protect her from real litigation that he would have brought towards her. So internal investigations, which did not have to talk to her from the sounds of it, did not talk to her. Well, I had read a couple, like a week or two ago that she had chosen not to participate in that conversation because she'd said everything she needed to say. Right. And that's that's the thing is that the it, quote unquote internal investigation is just another form of the NDA used, you know, to silence your abusers. OK, or the the, the abused. That's all it is. That's literally all it is. It's it's a company going up to the person who's accused being like, did you do it? No. Okay, well, you're good. And did any of y'all see him do it? No. Okay. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Was he was he an asshole to you? He wasn't. Okay, that's cool. We're not going to ask any of the women. They're irrelevant. So, um, yeah, there's that. So and, and again, I I have no dog in this fight. I don't even watch any of the Hardwick stuff. But this just pisses me off so goddamn much and i think it's just because it really fosters the cynicism that i have right now and i think um it was again john oliver who brought this up that we're at this point now where the fear of complacency is becoming a thing and that if you are not a violent rapist or and or look like harvey weinstein you know you're not nothing's gonna happen nothing's gonna happen as we're seeing with the likes of of Hardwick and Moonves is still in his position at CBS. They didn't even ask him to step down. You know, that's yeah. that's my problem. That is my problem is that, you know, if you if the studio heads still think there's money to be mined and it's all he said, she said, none of them are walking the walk at all. Oh. It's just buzzwords well, for them. I, I do kind of wonder about the Hardwick situation, given the number of people that are are walking away. Uh, in one form or another, because he's not, whereas Moonfoss is a major player in Hollywood. And I'm surprised that that he hasn't been forced out, but I think that we still have to see whether that develops. Hardwick, I would not be surprised just to see him vanish within a year. Well, I think that Kim probably can contribute to this, because I think the reason that he's still around has 100% to do with nerd culture, which is very male toxic. Right, Kim? Mm. Oh, hugely. I... I am surprised based on, I, it's a gender split again. It's because I know I 
a lot of the female-geared nerd, nerd culture that I tend to run in is pretty much done with him as well. But this is that same group. It all ties together the fake gamer girl stuff you saw years ago. The, the shit that we're seeing in the Star Wars universe now, dealing with um, the treatment that we're seeing the female characters get from there. It's toxic masculinity and it is it's toxic nerd boy gamer boy masculinity and these are those chris hardwick stands who keep coming out of the woodwork to defend him they see him as one of their own i he's he i I think somebody keeps i keep seeing tweets about hardwick going hey i like the stuff you like and that's basically what it is and while I think it's that very small but very toxic group that is propping him up, and those are the assholes that come out of the woodwork to defend him anytime somebody says anything even remotely critical of him on Twitter. Yeah. Well, that's, that's one of the things that's amazed me. Like, you know, if I meant, I have mentioned Hardwick, I think, three times on Twitter, and each time I have gotten these random dudes who have like 20 followers or less. Tweeting at me like I, call, I mean I, won't, I actually got one guy banned because he called me a name, um, a very nasty name. But it, it's kind of like, dudes, is this this is it? This is the place. This is the hill that you have chosen to die on. Really, like this guy. It's because it's not just about Chris Hardwick. It's because he represents them. He is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, I completely He's, understand. That. Yeah, he is. He is them made good. I mean, because we, if you look back at the history of his career. I mean, starting back on the singled out days, I mean, he's been through, there's a lot, he's been through a number of phases, but I mean, he's been in, you know, he was in Terminator 3, and that was kind of where you start hanging out with Will Wheaton. He is very much stereotypical nerd boy. The guy, And these are the types, you know, you, the association you get is got picked on in high school by the pretty girls, and he got rich, and he got popular, and he's one of them. He's what they want to be. They're, they're the Devin Farachis and the Harry Knowleses and and you know what they're fucking losers. I'm sorry, they just are like not not because they're nerds and not be or any or anything like that, but just because they are so fucking entitled. Mm-hmm. They're losers. Well, yeah, these are this is the same asshole behavior that we see with Star Wars. This is the group of yeah. people going. How, you put you're putting a woman in my franchise. You know. When what? I also oh hold on Kim. No oh no go ahead Kristen. I was going to say, you know, Karen and I were just having a completely off-topic conversation the other day about about the, the criticism game. And I think a lot of the nerd culture kind of seeps into the male criticism that we're seeing, the yeah. new crop of critics, you know, who, who looked up to other people that just started out in the industry with a block and a dream. And, you know, it's that whole concept of, like, working together to move up the ladder. And I think... For Har- Hardwick is also that bastion. It goes back into people who idolized, you know, Knowles and uh, Harry Knowles mm-hmm. and, and Farachi. You know, these guys that just had a computer and a dream. And then you you look at Hardwick, and it's this idea that you know, oh, my nerd culture one day is gonna bring me millions. It's it's no different than some weirdo who still collects Beanie Babies at this point, thinking they're gonna create a windfall. Okay, they're not. Hardwick had a very, very good persona that he crafted and a team and all of that. Okay, it wasn't like he was created, you know, he was some pimply nerd that just stumbled into success. No, that's all cultivated. And if you can't see that, then you ain't getting in there either. Right, exactly. Well, I'm conducting an experiment. I just put up a tweet. I did not use a hashtag. 
All I said was, I'm conducting an experiment. Chris Hardwick, go. <laughs> so we'll see <laughs> how many people jump in and try to like say terrible things about me for just saying Chris Hardwick, go. <laughs> so this will be fun. All right. So uh, moving from garbage people to just garbage. Um, so this week, the Oscar <laughs> announced some changes. And um, they actually announced three key changes, all of which are dumb uh, <laughs> to varying degrees. And this is as someone who loves the Oscars and has been obsessed with the Oscars since the 1980s because I'm old. All right. So first of all, of course, we'll come back around to this, but here are the three changes. So they're now they've announced a new category, which is outstanding achievement in best popular film. They are moving the Oscar ceremony up a few weeks, starting in 2020, uh, shortening the amount of time that people have to see the movies that are nominated, uh, that they're voting for. And also they are making sure that the show does not run more than three minutes or three, three minutes, (laughs) really quick, uh, three hours. And part of the way that they're going to do that is, uh, they're going to move some of the speeches to the commercial breaks. So... Um, actually, let's start there because I want to say a couple of things really fast. But one of the problems that I really have with this, first of all, people have worked their entire lives and they've done some amazing things. And then they get to the Oscar stage and they're nominated for an Academy Award. And now they're deemed that their category isn't even important enough to be shown during the regular broadcast. People at home watching don't even get to watch them win and one of the reasons that I think that this is really significant I mean the categories that will be affected are ones that people don't really probably know a lot about anyway so probably the shorts uh, I'm guessing this like things like sound design maybe makeup stuff like that one of the problems that I have with relegating those to off-camera essentially is that that is t- that tends to be where a lot of women and people of color win Oscars And now you're moving them off the main show, not letting them have their moment in the spotlight. I have a big problem with that. Anybody else have any thoughts? Yeah. Oh, I have so many thoughts, (laughs) but I'm going to... So a lot of this was funny. I just read um, Steve Pond's book about the Academy Awards um, last week, which is a book that charts um, his behind-the-scenes look at the Oscars, I think, starting in ninety. Um, whenever, whatever the year was after Rob Lowe had fucked everything over with Snow White and that performance. Um, so I think it's like early nineties up until the mid two thousands. Um, and like clockwork every year that this guy documents in the book is how can we get the show under three hours? Because the back in, in the day when ratings mattered, you know, and all of that, the concept was is that they saw a sharp decline in ratings after 1230 on the East Coast when they were showing them at different times. And so that's why they moved the Oscars up, which I think what, is now 530 on the West Coast, and they do it live, um, and they do it live. But their whole concept is, is that the East Coast immediately turns off the TVs if they run t- closer to midnight. But, but the problem is, is they've been saying this since the 90s. They've tried to get it under three hours. It doesn't fucking work. It doesn't work. And here's the thing. What do we all complain about when we watch the Oscars? It's not the speeches. It's not the categories. It's the fact that they have to pump in all this crap 
that nobody cares about? How many montages do we need to see? Do we need a 20-minute opening musical number with a big speechifying? No, you have three hours to say 24 categories. It should not take you that long. And my problem then becomes, okay, they move these categories to the commercial breaks. And that's not a clarion call for you to then say, okay, now we have time for all this other shit that nobody cares about, but we still need to pump it to three hours. So more montages like that's where i think this is gonna go where they're gonna be like great now we have all this time to pat ourselves on the back and do other stuff that we've always wanted to do that's not what people want you need to i I would love for an oscar cat like executive to actually ask people regular people that watch what they want i guarantee you it would not be um well the problem is the speeches do them during the commercials well another problem too with this this idea because like one of the reasons that they're wanting to cut down the show is I mean the entire reason is because of ratings but one of the problems and I I keep pointing this out and I keep feeling like I'm the only person that's pointing this out but I was really looking into this last year because people were making a big deal about the ratings decline and so I looked at it for the last couple of years and I tracked it and the decline in ratings over the last five years has been in direct comparison to the number of people that are cutting their cable and satellite subscriptions. People don't have access to the show if they don't have cable and satellite. And they're not going to keep those subscriptions just so they can watch the Oscars once a year. So they're finding other ways to watch it. You're pointing out exactly what I've been been thinking of too, which is, and again, all of this goes back to the Pond book, which they were talking about ratings, and I think they said, the one year they asked um, the head of ABC, well, what ratings do you want? Because the Oscars, I don't think, discloses specific numbers. They just say whether they've been up or down. Oh, no, they disclose and, numbers. Oh, they disclose yeah, numbers? Yeah, last okay. year it was 26 million viewers. Right, and so somebody asked them, well, what is the ideal number? And this was maybe in, like, 2004, 2005. And the guy just said more. And that's it. That's all they want. They're not trying to hit a number. They're trying. They just want... It to be ubiquitous. And here's the thing. We watch the Super Bowl for how many hours? It takes us ever, however long you need to play the game. Exactly. You know, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, and the whole concept of ratings, you know, Karen brought up a great point. We're in a point now where people don't have cable. And the Oscars is incredibly hard to find online to stream. You know, people want people can go on YouTube the next day and see the bite-sized speeches and all of that. And then that's it. Make it easier to stream. Give people access yeah. to it who don't have cable, oh, you know? Yeah. Well, it's not even just because yeah. my thing is, like, let's do a simulcast, put it on Oscars.org and let people watch yeah. it there. But I have a friend in put Tennessee. Put it on YouTube. Right. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend in Tennessee, though, who had a login and tried to stream on ABC.com and it was blocked in her area. Yeah, that's why I think I think YouTube's a better catch-all just because more people use. Because you always hear about oh, it's streaming on somebody's web somebody's website and then the server crashes or something. You know, make that. This would be a great idea for them to like pair with Netflix. Put it on Netflix uncensored. You wouldn't even have a delay button there. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that would be yeah. an incentive. Um, there well, are I'm ways surprised. to do it. Didn't they they streamed the os the nominations on os- Oscars.com, didn't they? Because I think I watched them there from Sundance. Yeah. It's like why can't they just do that? Yeah, because yeah. I mean, they're stupid and they don't want to. I mean, last, last this this past year, I actually I had one of those you know you get seven days free or something like that, and I got my seven days free of Sling TV solely to watch the Oscars, right? 
but I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have cable. I can't afford cable. I don't want cable. I don't watch enough television in order to justify it. And everything that I want to see, it's on Hulu, it's on Netflix, it's on other, it's on thing, places that I can pay a monthly subscription and stream. Um, and there's no way in hell that I'm going to get a, a cable subscription just in order to stream the Oscars. So why, hell, I will pay a couple of bucks or something like that to to rent the rights to watch the Oscars on Oscar night. I, I would be willing to do that. I don't know why this is something, they, they haven't, like, latched on to this yet. Well, I mean, the thing is that if you look at all of these proposed changes, who do they stand to benefit the most? Uh, the company that owns ABC, which is Disney. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, but, you House know, of Mouse, they're taking over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that leads into the big change, which I feel is on the level with, I don't want to use the word collusion, but, I mean, come on. Come on. Well, we know that collusion is not a crime, Kristen, so... Oh, well, of course, of course. When the, he- when the president of ABC does it, it's not a crime. Um, but yeah, so they've added a new category, which I love the way that they did this. And I have very specific thoughts on why, or theories on why they did it the way they did. But uh, the biggest change, of course, this week was the, new- the addition of the new category, which is Outstanding Achievement in Popular Film. They did not define popular film. They did not define... They didn't say how many how many nominees would be in this category. They didn't define anything. All they said in the press release was, and we'll let you know later what we mean by this. Now, I think the reason that they did that is one of two things. A lot of people have been complaining for years that they never... Uh, nominate that the Oscars never nominate the popular movies that make a lot of money, which we all know is not true, but people complain about that. So I think that they, one theory is that they have announced this category to watch everyone get all up in arms and then say, see, you don't actually want this category anyway, and then they'll ditch it. Or the other possibility uh, is that they put it out the way they did so that we could point out all the problems and then they can figure out how to make it work. So this is the um, change I feel like is made to quote to quote Tim Robbins um, in what is that movie about the hula hoop? I don't remember what the title is. Somebody's going to tell me right now. It's for kids. OK, that's exactly what this decision is from. Um, it's it's trying to get in with the young crowd. Again, something they've been trying to do since the 90s. Um, and my problem is, it, it, A, I think what Karen didn't include is that this is a decision too, where we're coming at a time where people are still complaining they're not nominating enough diversity in film. So they can say, see, Black Panther came out, you know, if they had just implemented it this year. Exactly. Black Black Panther came out. We nominated it for the popular film. There you go. Every, we solved diversity, everybody. We solved it. Here's your cookie. Here's exactly. And, and, what does that invent? What is the narrative then? If if the voters are like, okay, we have this new category, do we nominate Black Panther for Best Picture or Best Popular Film? Well, maybe if it doesn't get the the Best Picture, we can just put it in Popular, so we don't even have to put it in Best Picture. I don't like the precedent this can set from for yeah. minority films specifically. Um, you know, would would Moonlight have won then? If, you know, Best Picture had this category been an option, they'd be like, well, you know, we like La La Land. It's La La Land is more popular than Moonlight. It, you know, there's too much because popular is such a subjective word. You know, right. 
that I think it yeah. really sets a frightening precedent. I mean, I know the argument that I think a lot of the older guard has been bringing up is to go back to 1929, the first Oscars. Um, they did best film and best achievement or like best quality production or something because because Wings best won un, best unique and artistic achievement. Right. So Wings won the quote unquote best picture, but the the unique achievement in film went to Sunrise, which yeah. was the art film. You know, the artsy film. Well, and, and I actually have to say that, I, and I made this argument on Twitter earlier, I like that better. Because what it says is that you've got a best picture, but then you also have a film that deserves, rec- that is a smaller film, comparatively, and that deserves the same degree of recognition. And to me, that w- that would have been, if the Oscars had continued to do this, that would have been a way to recognize and to lift up more independent films, more foreign language films, films that don't get the the big play in the same way as as the Oscars do. And so you wouldn't just have Titanic winning everything under the sun. You would also have something else, a small, like, name me another film that came out the same year as Titanic. Um, particularly a small film. Google Hunting, as Karen said. <laughs> Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, oh, go on. But that, so, like, in, in in my brain, that actually that actually would work better than this whole we're going to have a popular popular versus best picture, you know, where, like you said, where do you, what category do you put that in? Um, if you're talking about a unique and artistic production, you could talk about experimental films, for Christ's sake. Like, not that the Oscars would actually do that, but that's there's a much broader spectrum that you can actually look at for a film that does something different with art, with the way that films are produced, with the way that films are seen, and you have the opportunity to actually buoy up those indie films. That's not what the Oscars wants to do, and that's certainly not what Disney wants to do. Well, and the problem is, too, is popular film. Again, this really helps Disney, right? Considering that they own fucking everything that is Marvel considered popular. Exactly. Well, and Fox now, too. You know, that's the thing. Yeah, they're going to own half the market. Yeah, so. so doesn't it really benefit them? And the biggest problem that I have with this is that people have been crying for new categories for decades. How long have they been asking for a stunt category? Which would allow, as, as my my friend Terrence Johnson pointed out, which would allow for those popular films, the Avengers and the Black Panthers and all of that to get in. You know, if they had a and to be category. rewarded in a meaningful way, right? You know, people have been talking about motion capture as as speaking of trying to capture what what the changing film landscape is looking like. People have been asking for a motion capture category. You know, um, casting category, right? Casting, uh, voice performance. Um, people, there. Uh, somebody brought up animal actors. I don't really agree with that one, but you know, again. All of these sound like more relevant categories than letting Mark fucking Wahlberg win an Oscar for Mile 22, okay? Like, really? Really? So, and the other thing, too, is that you, I thought they brought the, t- the sliding scale of Best Picture nominees to fix this problem once when Dark Knight got nominated. Or didn't get nominated. I don't even remember. Uh, yeah, it was because it didn't get nominated. Right! So I thought they did this already. Then make it a hard 10 every year for Best Picture, and force the Academy to pick a popular film. It's not fucking rocket science! Well, see, I thought they were supposed to fix this, too. Weren't they upping the Academy membership so we could get more right? a more diverse Academy voting group? I thought that now was supposed to fix the problem, too. 
They want more diverse, but they also want popular. So see, the diversity isn't wielding the popularity, which isn't yielding the ratings. So I think what they're saying is they really just want more white people. I'm just well, going to that. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say, I've yet to see a superhero film that I felt actually would have warranted a Best Picture nomination. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to include Black, Black Panther in that. Um, because Bless it's... Me. I mean, it's it's a very good film, and I absolutely and I think it's a very important film on many levels. And I I enjoy Black Panther, but when when you really come down to just like what I think that this would deserve a Best Picture nomination, no, probably not. Like it's too dependent upon other films. It's too dependent upon other franchises. Uh, it's too padded. Like it's too long. Um, and things like this, and it's probably going to be the same thing as something like Mission Impossible Fallout or Deadpool or anything else. Like, you know, are these films really something that you you feel like okay, this is this is a truly spectacular achievement in in the artistry of cinema? Not particularly. That's why they need the stunt category. I mean, you yeah. bring up Mission Impossible that. Well, you know, I, I th- that stunt work was second to none on some of those, especially for films we've seen this year. What they really needed to do is stunts. That would help things exponentially. Um, yeah. I, I just... But also, one, one more thing. If they want to make the ceremony shorter, if they keep throwing in these goddamn Jimmy Kimmel 25 to 30 minute bits, wasn't 30 I minutes. am going to fucking lose it. I am, I am, I, I mean, Kristen was mentioning the montages. I'm a nostalgia freak, so I'm good for, I, I'm good to watch a few montages of, you know, Catherine Hepburn or whatever. But when they stop the show cold for 30 minutes so they can trot in a group of quote unquote real people or send, you know, Gal Gadot out to a movie theater to hand out candy. Are you saying that, that Army Hammer and his hot dog? Hot dog blaster was not worth it. Come that on. was bullshit and a waste <laughs> of time. And they need to. That is the shit that is weighing down that ceremony. Not you know best sound design Oscars. Yeah. That's when I mute the television. <laughs> well, ironically, that's the stuff that the young people talk about the most the next day and seem to enjoy. So. <laughs> Yeah, if that's who they're trying to bring in, the, then... The Citizen I, I Academy, because I know you guys are listening, okay? The Citizen Games will totally fix your show, okay? We will come up with all sorts of awesome stuff that everybody will love. So just hire us. We know what we're talking about. It'll be amazing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on. Um, uh, we're like, I'm looking at the time and trying to figure out how... Let's just kind of whip through some of this. Um, so Chris Hemsworth and Chris Pine are maybe not going to be in Star Trek 4. They're supposed to be Captain Kirk and Captain Kirk's daddy. Um, and I love this Hollywood Reporter article, which we'll throw into the link in the show notes. But, um, I love how this Hollywood Reporter article, at least the headline, makes it seem like the two of them are feuding or something. And so they walked away from negotiations. (laughs) It's like, no, they individually are not getting the deals that were supposed to be given to them. So contract negotiations have stalled and they may not do Star Trek 4, which we all know means they will end up doing Star Trek 4 and everything's You lost me at Chris Hemsworth with his daddy. I'm sorry. I don't <laughs> Everyone go to our website right now. Heck yes. <laughs> You're going to love it. You're going to love it. Um, and then, um, let's see, Boots Riley doesn't like the fact that people are criticizing Detroit from Sorry to Bother You. 
Uh, who wants to... So, I've been following this very closely. So, Boots Riley, there was an article that came out that was talking about Detroit from, um, sorry to bother you, as being a manic pixie dream girl. This is something that he's been kind of harping on the last couple of months. People have brought it, numerous people have brought it up. Uh, somebody wrote an article, and I, I cannot for the life of me remember who it is. I will find it and put it in the show notes because you should read it because it's amazing. Um, from a, a female uh, writer of color. Um, and he proceeded to write a four-page note and post it on Twitter, um, refuting all of these assertions, and then was was obviously searching his name and jumping into conversations with people, including um, a writer, another female writer of color, Shannon Miller, um, to kind of argue with her about um, how she was wrong and it was not correct. He's been doing this for several days now, going into people's DMs and arguing with them. Um, my, my friend Terrence Johnson was also uh, included in a conversation that he jumped into, um, again, arguing with them about these points. Um, and then- I love when Terrence pointed out, like, if you have to write a three-page description of your character to explain to people about a movie they've already seen, Maybe something exactly. Here. <laughs> this also comes out at the same time. It's been it's been said that Colin Trevorrow is also checking his name on Twitter and is jumping into conversations with people oh, to argue no. about his movies. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna step it up then. Yeah, yeah really. Let's argue with Colin. I would much rather fight with Colin Trevorrow. Oh my so, god. Yes. Really, what it boils down to is, is if you are a director, okay, and you can't handle criticism. Don't fucking search your name on Twitter, okay? Just don't. Well, and and one of the things that was really driving me crazy about this, that like, I and I, a lot of this is from people who like the film, who are like, this is a good film. Here's a problem with it, right? And that's what criticism is. Like, you, it isn't just about writing a review. I liked it. I didn't like it. It's it's about like really digging into it and and being like, okay, well, this this is what it does really well. You know, it's this great socialist polemic, but. It has issues with its female characters. Let's talk about the really the sole female character of note in this in this film and the way that she's represented and and what that means. And you know, so I, I read the same article that you did, Kristen, and then I was like, oh well, I could I could probably write a refutation of that or write something that maybe looked at it in a different way. That's what analysis and criticism is. And for a filmmaker to then be like, no, 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 you're wrong. You can't criticize that. You can't make you can't object to the way that I portrayed my character, the way that I chose to write her is bullshit. Leave it alone. This is do it. This is nothing but good for your film. Right. Well, and also telling people this is the only way that you are able to yeah. to interpret the art that I have given you. Like that is so wrong because we talk about this all the time. Like art is subjective. Everyone's going to take different things from different you know, different books and movies and, you know, paintings, whatever it is. Everyone's going to use their own experiences, their own understanding of the world to interpret those pieces of art in the way that makes sense to them and in the way that they can feel and react to it. And he's basically trying to take that away from people just because he doesn't like the interpretation. With that film's third act, there is no one way to interpret that film for the love of, you know, Pete. Well, and also, if you're specifically seeking out women writers of color to argue with and letting it pass when it's white guys or white women bringing it up, it might be a problem there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I mean... 
Don't. I was gonna say, just don't search your name. I've seen it. I've, yeah, exactly. I've, we discussed on our Slack when another actor I, I came in contact searched his own name. It's weird. Just, just don't do it. I have a friend. I have a friend. I will. I will make the story quick. I have a friend who wrote a review of a Robbie Benson movie. Okay, for and I've told Kim the story. Um, and Robbie Benson apparently searches his name um, because he proceeded to leave her a five paragraph comment. Um, that was about how she totally misinterpreted the movie and it's great and she's an asshole for critiquing it. So there you go. Just stop searching your name. And that was a blog, which means he Googled his name. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, and I do have to say, one of the reasons why I even became interested in film is that, like a lot of people, I came from a, an English literature background. One of the things I really liked about film is that there are so many interpretations, just like you were saying, Karen, that, that there's so much you can do with this piece of art. I am a big advocate of Bart and the, the death of the author. We don't need to know what the filmmaker thinks. We don't need to know what the writer felt about his character or how he or she interprets that character. It's like, no, that's that. I don't care. I don't care. What I want to do is to be able to offer my, my critique of it with support and other people to be able to do the same thing and for us to have a conversation about it. That is the importance of criticism and that's the importance of art. Boots Riley needs to just not be a part of this. Like, it's not his game. Exactly. If you can't handle criticism, you're in the wrong business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or at the very least, just don't go looking for it. Yeah. And then have meltdowns over it. So, uh, sorry, Boots Riley. I really liked your movie, but I'm not liking this. <laughs> so, um, but someone I am liking and someone who is amazing in every way is Kathleen Turner. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That interview was fantastic. Did you all read through it on Vulture? I did not have time, but I've saw, I've seen snippets and they're amazing. I've been scanning it. Yeah. Oh, she's just like, so, I mean, Kathleen Turner has been around for, you know, a year or two. Uh, And, I mean, she's just like, I remember that, like, when I was a kid, I remember Peggy Sue Got Married used to be on TV all the time. And my mom would watch it, like, every time it was on. And so, like, I just, you know, I grew up loving Kathleen Turner. You know, she's just so great. And so this interview, she talks about all kinds of things. She talks about Elizabeth Taylor. She talks about um, uh, the cast of Friends and how they weren't very nice to her. Like, how are you not nice? And how she hates everybody. (laughs) (laughs) She basically does hate everybody in the world. Well, Kathleen Turner is one of those actresses that I always feel got unfairly maligned because she aged. You know, she's, I think, one of the great examples of, like, a a female actress who just took such vitriol when she started to get older. And people were making just, I I know, I know people who make comments about, oh, Kathleen Turner is starting to look like a man. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, really? She's one of those actresses that I think people just really could not deal with getting older. And she's just so fantastic. She took, but she proved herself more fantastic in that. Is what did she play in Friends? Chandler's father, who had a trans, who right. had transition surgery. Right. So I, I think she, um, she has been probably one of the most. Hold on, my dog was making noise. Um, I think she's one of the most self-aware performers. You know that that understands what people have been saying about her or would think about her, and she's going to be like, "Fuck you! I'm going to get up on that before you even have time to make that comment." 
Well, and she and she talks about in the interview. She talks about being, um, you know, sort of the sex symbol, and, and and I think that that's that's where a lot of the vitriol, particularly from men, has come from. Um, as that, like, she dared, you know, the, kind of like what Carrie Fisher talked about. She dared to age. She dared to get sick. I mean, she has really mm-hmm. severe rheumatoid arthritis. And so she she has been in a lot of pain over the course of her life. She had an alcohol problem, as a partially as a result of that, and uh, and all of that. But that she she dared to to exist as a woman, and she dared to change and become not as attractive in the eyes of you know male viewers and male producers as she was supposed to be. And, and that's fucked up, but yeah, the, what, the awesome thing is that she really has just continued to have a career after that. She's done a, an amazing amount of stage work. Um, she's still, like, one of the people that I idolize. I love her in just about everything that I've ever seen her in. Um, and and uh, she also says things, like, in, in answer to the question, uh, what else aside from luck has driven your career? Rage. I'm fucking angry, man. I love about, that. About what? Everything. <laughs> I was just like, you know, I I get you, Kathleen. I like I like you. It's so true. I love when she's, they're like, "Did you ever kick a, st- a co-star?" No, I slapped yeah. one. <laughs> like, she's just so great. She calls out Nicholas Cage. Jack Nicholson. Um. Oh yeah, she calls out everybody. I also loved what she said about missing Meryl Streep on stage. Like it was just so, you know, it was so fun to listen to her um, yeah. kind of cheering other people on too even though she's like all these people suck except for well you know this person's pretty cool and like she says that Emma Stone is really interesting she likes watching her and there was someone else that she mentioned too and it's just yeah it's just such a it's such a great interview because it's just so real and so honest and we don't get enough of that like every you know, every conversation, every interview you listen to, people are are just answering the questions the way that they think they should. It's all we talked about this, you know, weeks ago when the Chris Hardwick stuff broke and I had talked about how I interviewed him and like how people have this persona that they're constantly cultivating and they're very aware sometimes they slip and say things that they didn't really mean to be so honest about. But that's rare. Most of the time it's very calculated. And they really plan out what they're going to say. And that's what's so great about this interview is it's just, listen, I'm going to tell you what I think and uh, just sit down because this is going to be some fun. So it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. You all should read it. Um, it oh, It's so great. Oh, yeah. She talked about uh, Trump having a gross handshake, too, which just also cracked me up. Oh, good stuff. All right. So let's move on. This week we got a couple of movie trailers. Um, everyone is super, super excited about the Nutcracker and the Four Realms. Are we? Um, are we really? Are we now? Yeah. No, and let's move on. Maggie McFadden, so I would support that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. Um, I, I keep I thinking. I have a brand, ladies and gentlemen, Matthew McFadden. <laughs> so the Nutcracker, which I thought was just directed by Lassa Hallstrom, but somebody told me that it's actually co-directed by him, and they brought in Joe Johnston, and I was like, the... uh, yeah, they brought in Joe Johnston after they had finished Principal Photography. Oh, enough. Yeah, Joe Johnston did enough reshoots that he earned co-directing. Which is not good. Um, uh, but Joe Johnston, no. if you don't know, directed The Rocketeer, and I'm just like. 
So they brought him in either to make the movie make sense or to play up the whimsy. I'm not really sure. Um, I It looks like ass, seriously. Like, beautifully made ass, but ass nonetheless. Um, I hate Kira Knightley's accent. I, can't, I hate that squeaky Judy Holiday-esque voice because you're not Judy Holiday. Stop it. Oh, okay. was, was that Kira Knightley? Yes, that's Kira Knightley. Uh, oh, yeah. dear. Yeah. Um, and, and also just the fact that I'm really not liking what Disney is doing, taking properties, whether it's Alice in Wonderland or Christopher Robin or this, and saying, you know what? Find your inner child by actually going into these stories um, and having to solve. This looks like Alice in Wonderland, which I said the same thing about Christopher Robin. It looked like, I mean, Jesus, you guys can't make Alice in Wonderland work and you don't want to work with Johnny Depp anymore, so you're just going to try to make it work with other properties. I... And that was after I was already pissed about the slow jam cover of No Doubt in the trailer. So just, just stop, please, just stop, okay? I mean, I worry. I don't want to pick on a child actress, but I I've struggled. Is that Mackenzie Foy? Is that the lead? Yeah. I've struggled with her in the past, and I I just wasn't feeling any different with that trailer. And can we stop with the narrative of how my mom was brilliant, and thus I need to go and fight some sort of deeper psychological battle within myself in a magical land. We saw it with Beauty and the Beast, okay? I know women can do everything. That is great. But when you're using it as a plot device, it's not great. They're trying to craft a feminist story, Kristen. God. Oh, exactly. I know. I know. It comes out November 2nd. I'll be skipping it. It does, yeah. All right, so then the next trailer that we had was for the kindergarten teacher, and I'm very curious what you all thought of this, because I already know what I think of it, because I've already seen the movie. Okay, so I was a little confused by the tone, because it gets super serious at the end, but then I thought maybe it could be sweet, and then I thought maybe it was comedic. I was really, really unclear. I think the trailer has a hard time really explaining what you should feel about things, but I'm interested. I'm very interested. Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal looks great. I hope it doesn't turn into birth. Um, if anybody's seen that movie, um, that movie's fucking weird. Um, but I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm in, very intrigued. Oh, I, I don't think that... I, I wasn't particularly confused by the tone. It looks dark. Um, it doesn't look sweet to me at all. And... The, and, and by and because of that, I, I find it very intriguing. It looks it, the way that it the way that the trailer plays at least is that it looks like this woman who is um, uh, who is putting maybe some of her disappointment or some of her boredom with life onto this talented but very young child that isn't even her child. Uh, it, it looks fascinating. I mean, I'm I'm down for it. Kim? Same. I'm with Lauren. I because I, I waited in. I was on standby at Sundance for this, and I put in I think three hours and missed out. But I am so excited for it. Looking at that trailer, it looks very dark, very intriguing, and I'm down for pretty much anything Maggie Gyllenhaal wants to do. You know, it's really interesting. I did see this at Sundance. Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal is fantastic and i've been saying all year do not even consider counting her out for a best picture best actress nomination because she's really great um it's interesting because when i watched the trailer i felt it i this is you know having already seen the movie knowing exactly what it is 
I felt like a lot of people would feel like Kristen, where I was just like, huh, this is really weird the way they cut this trailer together. But then hearing you, Kim, and and Lauren explaining how you interpreted it or what you saw, I was just like, oh, maybe maybe it's not as confusing as I thought, because you guys are on the right track of what it is. So, um, yeah, it's I'm excited. It's going to be on Netflix October 12th, 10th, in October. So... Uh, something else that's going to be on Netflix. This is not a movie. This is a limited series, right? Or is it a mini series? I'm not sure. Li- I think it's a ser- limited series. All right. But so... I, think, I think if it makes money, it will, like, if people go watch it, it might extend. I don't know. Yes. Okay. Well, um, in his attempt to prove to Lauren that he exists, <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. I have he, forgotten his he's face real. already. <laughs> Justin Theroux is set to start well he has already started and it will soon be seen uh, in Maniac and we got a trailer for it this week Um, Kristen why don't you talk about this I've been really excited for Maniac since I heard about it and not just because it's got Justin Theroux it's directed by I don't know how this fell off my radar like I didn't even know about it I saw the trailer Terry Fukunaga is directing it Mm -hmm. Um, sexiest director around right now so yeah it all really yeah it's well okay and I don't get the YTT thing I like him as a director I don't want to fuck him um Terry Fukunaga though hey there um but either way so I've been I've been excited for this for a while it's got Emma Stone and I I enjoy um a lot of her stuff so I was into this I was into this I know it's based on a Norwegian show I think um but I've not seen it. I, I know you can watch the original on Netflix. Um, but it just looks weird as shit and super colorful. It's got Sally Field. Who doesn't love her? Um, I'm not understanding if her and Justin Theroux are supposed to be mother and son. Or they could be married. I don't know. You know what? Sally Field could get it. Okay? Either way. I'm I'm so for it. Um, I'm all for Justin Theroux playing creepy scientist. Um, let's just hope it's better than the last Netflix thing he made, which was Mute, <laughs> which I have not forgiven him for yet. So him and I still a little on the outs over that. So he can make it up to me with this this TV show, which looks weird as hell, but it comes out around my birthday. So happy birthday to me. Yep, it'll be on Netflix on September 21st. And it will convince Lauren that he is real. No, he, it won't. He, he needs to no, stop I, with the. He needs to stop with this whole "I've been nude on camera" look. I'm just like uh, it. It oh no. Or he just needs to be nude on camera again. Well, yeah, there that that would work. Not looking like the person who goes into the adult you know video store with a long trench coat on. Are you saying that his penchant for stupid fucking wigs and weird disfiguring shit on his face is a bad idea? He is so desperate, like you said earlier, to be seen as an artiste. You're a pretty boy. Just fucking embrace it. (laughs) He is a thespian who fancies himself Arthur Miller, okay? And we're not allowed to make fun of his quote-unquote writing, okay? I mean, I don't. I support him. I also make fun of him for it. So the point is, is is Lauren, okay, you know, we'll put it as a Patreon perk. If we hit our next thing, Lauren has to watch three episodes of Leftovers of our choosing and then decide whether Justin Theroux is real. I don't agree to that because Justin (laughs) Theroux does not exist. I am telling you this right now. 
I watched that trailer for Maniac. I was like, oh, this looks kind of weird. I'm not certain about that. Oh, Kerry Fukunaga, that's pretty cool. I forgot him the second he stopped being on screen. It's because he doesn't look like him. Yeah, he he's he's not him. because he doesn't exist. <laughs> he does not look like anyone. Wait, and I, I will Instagram. say, does Jonah Miller or Jonah Hill need to keep being a thing? I yeah. I, yeah. My tolerance for that is running a little low. Okay, so people need to flood the Twitter and tell Lauren to watch the leftovers. It, I don't want to watch the leftovers. Yes, you I need watch to. Throw. I don't. But you can't make that determination until you've at least seen the best of the best. Yes, I, I can. I can make the determination that I do. I have no interest in watching a television show. I actually can Wait, do that. You do that I all the time. I would be <laughs> interested to see Lauren rage tweet the leftovers. Yes, because here's the thing: you will remember him because he will fucking annoy you so much. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to <laughs> some movies that we've seen recently. Actually, um, with people that really exist. <laughs> uh, Kim, why don't you tell us a little bit about that new shark movie? That that little indie Jason Statham shark movie that came out. So I saw The Meg this week, and... Was a little. I wasn't sure my expectations walking into it. I was really, actually, really excited after that trailer. However, I and I'm seeing word of mouth that's kind of all over the place on this one. But ultimately, I feel like the marketing campaign is actually stronger than the actual movie. Uh, that trailer was just so good, and it sets you up for this level of Sharknado like awesomeness. And you know, you see. It, Ultimately, the film has a sense of humor about itself, but that's really, this is a sci-fi original movie with a feature film budget, and tone-wise, it's trapped, I believe in my review, I said it's trapped in a no-man's land between the delightfully bad of Sharknado and the why the hell am I watching this of Stonehenge Apocalypse, because it's just, it can't quite commit it's some of the best moments in the trailer aren't actually there or they're tweaked heavily um script is non-existent um character development is largely non-existent there were some interesting seeds that they planted that i just wanted more of i didn't think they show screened it in imax for us which for me i don't feel like that was the best decision i mean people i'm hearing things all over the board again on this but i felt the visuals were actually pretty terrible there was a shot they somehow managed to ruin a jason statham shower scene um he's there's one point where he's in all of his shirtless glory because the man is just not meant to wear a shirt i'm not it's he's he's leaning under the faucet and you can tell the water's fake they botched a shower and then the the shark same way in a shark movie you need to have the shark looking good and you can just you can see the flaws uh i mean it was fun statham was probably the acting bright spot of that which is again a lot i've seen most of his movies and that's usually not what he brings but he looks like he's having an absolute blast and it kind of carries you through it but it's it was it was fun, but it was not what it could have been, which I found a little disappointing. But I would have I would recommend it if as long as you keep your expectations severely severely in check. People actually liked Jason Statham in his shirtless glory. 
You know, coming from someone who thinks that Justin Theroux exists, uh, that's, that's <laughs> a serious... That's there a were serious hoops in my theater when like he took his shirt off. That is comparing a Maserati to a Yugo, okay? How no. dare you? That's <laughs> comparing a car that actually exists to one that doesn't. So, you know, it's like... Yugos existed in the 80s. <laughs> in, I think, Britain. Right. <laughs> well, thank you, Kim. This week, Lauren and I saw Black Klansman. Did uh, did anybody else? Can I will not be going to see it until Sunday. Ah, oh, bummer. Okay, so uh, we so Lauren and I got to see Black Klansman this week. Um, and Lauren, why don't you go ahead and share your thoughts first? All right. Um, keep, keeping in mind that I am a very white person um, going to see this movie. I one of I mean, just the general plot is, I think that most people know what it is, but it's, um, it's about the, one of the first African American police officers in Colorado Springs in the 1970s. He becomes uh, a detective at a very young age, very early in his career, and essentially winds up almost on a whim calling, uh, answering an advertisement to people that are interested in the KKK. And he, ends up striking up a rapport with um, the local chapter president of the KKK, only to realize that, of course, he's black, so he can't go and meet these people in person. So he um, enlists the help of his sergeant and another detective uh, who will go and play him, basically, uh, whenever he actually has to have face-to-face meetings with these members of the KKK. It's directed by Spike Lee. Uh, so you can kind of, if you've seen any Spike Lee movies, you sort of know what direction some of this is going to go in. Uh, I loved it. I, I thought that it was an incredibly powerful film that also had a, a great deal of humor in it in the way that Spike Lee does humor. He always does a lot of satirical, sort of almost hysterical sense of humor where you have to laugh in order to stop yourself from crying. Um the the performances were spectacular. This is was actually one of the films that I was like, oh my god, Adam Driver is an interesting actor, uh, which I had not been convinced of until this point. He he plays Flip, the uh, the white detective. Um, the lead who I haven't seen in anything else. His name is uh, David Washington. John David Washington, who and he's wonderful. And there's this wonderful sort of dialogue going on about identity. And about voice, um, because, of course, he is he's not really impersonating a white man on the phone. He's using what to him is his natural voice. And there's a really interesting exchange, uh, but which is not the expected way that a black man sounds uh, in the 1970s in Colorado Springs. Um, And there's a really interesting exchange about, you know, he he actually says to his police captain, um, I'm fluent. some of us speak King's English, some of us speak Jive. I happen to be fluent in both. And so there's an interesting um, dialogue very similar to Sorry to Bother You going on about the way that you put on a voice depending upon your circumstances, the, the way that voice supposedly identifies you with a particular race and what that means. Um, it's it's a, it's an amazing film. A lot of people have talked about how this is very much sort of almost pan, I I wouldn't say pandering, Um, this is appealing to a mainstream white audience. This is very much speaking to white liberal America. This is something that I've heard from a number of um, uh, critics of color who have been discussing this film, that this is probably Spike Lee's most 
accessible to white people movie. Um, but in that sense, it actually, I think that it's important that he does that, actually, because uh, it's very much about white complacency. It's about not taking the KKK seriously. Um, it's about not understanding the dangers posed by white supremacists and um, and viewing them as kind of these ridiculous redneck Beverly Hillbillies types, which when in reality they're they're ridiculous on the one side, but they're also incredibly dangerous and they have a very strong and um, complex <laughs> a com complex relationship to race and understanding of race and is something that we actually do need to take seriously. This film was released on yesterday, so it was on the anniversary of Charlottesville, uh, which I think says a great deal about what Lee was trying to do. And I, I think that for the most part, he succeeded in his project. Yeah, uh, it's funny. I said on Twitter that this is a movie that where Spike Lee is preaching to the choir and then beating them with the hymn book, but only he could get away with that. And I actually did mean that in a positive way. Some people weren't sure, but <laughs> I did mean that in a positive way because I think that uh, it is very, it's very much his style where it's very in your face. Uh, he is very blunt about what he's doing. He doesn't pull punches. It's just very clear and obvious. And he does make the same points over and over and over again to the point where it's like, I got it. But at the same time, I think from another filmmaker, I would have been like, all right, I, this, this is just too much. But with him, it just, it, it really works. It works well. The performances are fantastic. John David Washington is Denzel Washington's son. Oh, see, I thought that he was related <laughs> to someone. I was like, I, I feel like I know this guy, and I don't. Yeah, he, he is, he is John, or he is Denzel Washington's son, and it's funny because there are a couple of times in the movie where he's speaking, and I'm like, oh my gosh, he sounds exactly like his dad. In the same way, where like sometimes I'll say something, and I hear my mom's voice come out of my mouth, and it freaks <laughs> me out. <laughs> so it was just really funny. But he's, um, he was like going into football I think out out of high school and he's now transitioned into acting he was in a film that I saw at Sundance that is still looking for distribution I think it's going to screen at TIFF but uh, it's called Monsters and Men where he uh. also plays a police officer that movie is segmented and that one he also plays a police officer who's dealing with the fact that one of the white officers shot an unarmed person and he's trying to figure out what to do about like where is his role in that situation so it's very interesting um but this movie he's fantastic and it's so great that this is kind of like the first thing that people are really going to see him in because he's just so talented and it's like he is just he is here to play like he is he is just gonna be a star i know he was and not because of his dad because he is really good and deserves to be there so um, um, i'm excited to see it i read the book so yeah. i haven't seen the movie yet i read the book um and the book is very short and anticlimactic. Uh, anti so already I can see that they probably padded significantly um, well, some stuff. Uh, maybe, but I think it's more that they've just included a lot of historical stuff. Like, there's a big climatic scene, which I know uh, Lauren talked about in her review on her website, which I read, um, by the way, uh, where it, it includes Harry Belafonte. And... Mm -hmm. um, and so it's this whole scene where he's describing things that had happened, things that he had witnessed, and that's happening while there's this clan meeting going on. 
And so he's including a lot of these things where he's incorporating real history that, you know, that is all part of the story. It's just not necessarily directly part of Ron Stallworth's story. But it's painting this complete picture of what what the country was like in the 70s, especially in middle America. So Okay, well, as somebody, somebody was very interested in hearing our take on Twitter, and they wanted to know, and I know Lauren probably has an answer, were either of you swayed and seduced by 70s Adam Driver? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, he's, he's really good, and his character is really interesting because he's um, he's kind of drafted in as being, like, the 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 white guy, right? He's he's the guy that he's an experienced detective, and he can actually go in and perform this. But you find out very early on that he's Jewish. The character is Jewish. And that immediately provokes this real, this, you know, the, the entire film is about all these different layers of identity. And it provokes this whole fact where one of the things that he runs into in dealing with the clan is, is this one particular guy who keeps on asking him, are you Jewish? And of course, if you know anything about the clan, you know that, that they don't just hate black people. They hate pretty much everybody that isn't a wasp. And so he has this very terrifying and, uh, a fascinating scene in particular where he's essentially having to prove that he's not Jewish. Um, and he he gives a great performance, and it's a very layered performance. It's a very subtle performance. I think that, that a lot of people are missing some of the subtleties that this film has because its overarching narrative is so blunt. Um, it, it it really telegraphs, you know, like, I mean, there there are scenes that are just like, oh, what if David Duke or someone like David Duke were to be elected president? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> is And it's very obvious, you know, but um, on, on that level, but on another level, there is a lot of dialogue going on about the nature of race in America, the relationship of race to um, to police officers, to, to different degrees of racism, different perceptions of what race means, depending upon who you are, and and where you live um, and who you're talking to, and all of that kind of gets sort of pushed into this this very broad spectrum of characterization, and and Adam Driver is just like he's he's amazing. I I was I was really impressed by his performance more so than I've been in in any other film I've seen him in. Oh, he was he was incredible. And the other thing too that I think was really interesting, just to kind of touch on what you were saying, Lauren, like. Um, one of the things that was really interesting about the clan members is the fact that, I mean, other than Felix, I think, um, you've got these people that outside of them being in these clan meetings, they seem like they would actually come across as very normal people. Like these are people that you could know and, and be friends with if you didn't know that this is what their life was like, you know, outside of what you know them as like it was very interesting they're not menacing people yeah one of my favorite characters is actually the uh, favorite um is is uh, felix's wife connie who uh, who uh, becomes a very important character as the film goes on but you see her and she's this very sort of chipper midwestern housewife you know she's very like you you know you've met people like her basically exactly um you you know you what you know like i i grew up with people who that that could have been their mom and then she goes into suddenly spewing some of this racist crap and and it's horrifying because it's so recognizable these are the people that you shop with and that that is where you're speaking to to white america saying like you know these are your next door neighbors 
These are people that seem totally normal, that you hang out with, that you, that you see every day, and are harboring these beliefs and this degree of hatred that could at any moment erupt into violence. And that's a really powerful statement to to the complacency of of white America, and is is I, I think very important. And I don't I don't know any other filmmaker that could have pulled off, as you said, what the, what Lee managed to do with this film. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So go see it. It's in theaters now. Um, I think it's the widest Spike Lee release in a long time. Yeah. So um, yeah, go support it. It's it's definitely worth your time. And if you have to pay full price because the movie pass is being weird again this weekend, it's still worth it. Go do it. So, um, Kristen, did you see anything this week that you'd like to talk about? You didn't uh, put anything on the list, but I, I did go see Crazy Rich Asians, but I know we're going to talk about that next week when everybody else goes to see it. So um, I won't I won't say too much other than it's so good. <laughs> Yay! Awesome. Cool. But we'll we'll talk more about that next week. So yes, we will. And Lauren, you wanted to give a quick plug for is it Madeline? Is that how you say it? Yeah, uh, Madeline's Madeline. Yeah, just this this movie is just about uh, it's coming out this weekend. I think it's getting a limited release right now in New York and L.A. Seek it out. It's a very interesting film. It's a female director. Um, uh, I I have my full review up on our website, but I just wanted to say that it's a really interesting film very experimental and um one of the closest uses of of point of view in cinema that i have seen in contemporary cinema that i've seen in a long time so it's really worth checking out uh the director is josephine decker and it is incredibly female i will just say that (laughs) awesome thank you all right well that's gonna wrap up this episode of citizen name thank you so much for listening of course you can always uh find our show Lots of ways, basically all the ways that you listen to podcasts. Um, Podbean, Apple, uh, Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify. And you can find our website, which is citizendamepod.com, where we have all kinds of fun treats for you. We've got movie reviews from Lauren and Kim. We've got our weekly top five this week uh, wrapping up. We had Chris Hemsworth. And I don't know what we're doing next week, but it's going to be awesome because it always is. And, of course, our Patreon. You can go over there, patreon.com slash citizendame. And we have links to our bonus episodes. We've got the Ultimate Movie Boyfriend Bracket Challenge. We keep calling it a draft, but it's not really a draft. It's a bracket challenge. And so you can find out who we declared the Ultimate Movie Boyfriend. You can hear Kristen and I talk all about... Uh, well, actually, we did an audio commentary track for Sicario. We've got other bonus content there and also coming very soon. Um, for as little as $1, you can unlock all this stuff. So, and we do want to throw a shout-out to Ryan McQuaid, who helped us hit our big $50 milestone this week. Yes, he did. Thank you yes. so much, Ryan. So, so because of that, in the, the coming uh, weeks, maybe a month, I think we're looking at September, um, Karen will finally have to watch Man from Uncle, and we will talk about it. We will have special guests, and Lauren will be over there grousing about how <laughs> she hates all of it. Did I say thanks, Ryan? I meant thanks, Ryan. No, you haven't seen the movie. So <laughs> back me up here. I'm hoping for Karen to be on my side on this one. <laughs> I, 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 it's great. It's so good. It's happens. such a good movie. Yeah. 
So anyway, um, so that's all the fun stuff. You can find us on Twitter, Citizen Dame Pod, and you can find our individual Twitters. Uh, Kristen? I am at Gurney's underscore film. Lauren? I am at LH Business. Kim? At KPR624. And I am at Karen M. Peterson. That's going to wrap everything up. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Hello, Citizen Dame fans. Karen here with a quick programming note. After we recorded this episode, we made the decision that we all really, really needed a week off. And so we decided we're taking one. So there will be no new episode this coming week. Okay, actually what really happened is we all saw Crazy Rich Asians and decided to run off in search of Henry Golding. So if you see him, let him know we're looking for him. Otherwise, we'll talk to you guys all next week. I didn't want to say we're trapped, but that peckerwood had a gun in my face. And he was an ass hair away from pulling the trigger. And he didn't. But he could have. And then I would have been dead. For what? Stopping some jerk-offs from playing dress-up? Flip, it's intel. Well, I'm not risking my life to prevent some rednecks from lighting a couple sticks on fire. This is the job. What's your problem? That's my problem. For you, it's a crusade. Hmm. For me, it's a job. It's not personal, nor should it be. Why haven't you bought into this? Why should I? Because you're Jewish, brother. The so-called chosen people. You've been passing for a wasp. White Anglo-Saxon Protestant, cherry pie hot dog white boy. Hmm. That's what some light-skinned black folks do. They pass for white. Doesn't that hatred you've been hearing the Klan say, doesn't that piss you off? Of course it does. Then why are you acting like you ain't got skin in the game, brother? Rookie, that's my fucking business. It's our business. I'm going to get you your membership card. So you can go to the cross burning and get in deeper with these guys. Right, partner?